Amen. All right. We'll go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16. While you're turning there, I want to go ahead and give you this whole sermon in one sentence. So if you want to write it down, you can. It's going to be up on the PowerPoint. When I pick up my faith, this is the sermon tonight. When I pick up my faith, I access God's grace. Can y'all say that with me? When I pick up my faith, I access God's grace. Awesome. Are you there? Ephesians 6, verse 16. Everybody there? I'm telling you, I'm excited. And I got a little bit of sweet tea in me, so it might be, might be uh, ramped up. I wanted to remind you that what we've been studying here in Ephesians chapter 6 is Paul's closing statement to the book of Ephesians. And uh, this book has, been, has kind of become known as one of the most uh, inspiring, challenging, affirming books that he wrote, or le- letters rather, that he wrote to all of the saints. And it's full of encouragement, full of affirmation, full of practical things to equip and to love on the believers. And I tell you, it's a really weird thing. It's amazing that God took this one man who used to hate Christians. If you don't know this about the Apostle Paul, you study the word a little bit, you'll find out. The Apostle Paul used to be a really zealous Pharisees, a Pharisee who hated Christians, and he was even killing them, persecuting them, and yet he eventually became one of them. And now he, um, he loves Christians, and he loves God's people, and he loves the church, and he's, his whole life he's devoted to the building up and the equipping of the saints. In fact, his love for seeing the people really grab the gospel of Jesus, he was so zealous about it that it got him put in jail. Remember a couple weeks ago we talked about that? If you're new, you don't know what I'm talking about, but you can go back and listen to the podcast. In Acts 28, it tells us that the Apostle Paul was arrested and put what they called house arrest, meaning that he was incarcerated, but the imprisonment that he found himself in allowed him to have a house of his own. And so the only thing was is that he had to be under guard day and night. And probably, more than likely, he was actually chained to a Roman guard. And so day in and day out, Paul is sharing space with this Roman soldier who was well-trained and well-equipped. And because Paul is kind of the master of metaphors, you know what I mean? Master of analogies. He just gets it. He makes things make sense. You know that he was thinking to himself, this is what every believer should be. Well-equipped, well-trained, ready to resist any attack of the enemy, right? And so let's look at what he says right here in Ephesians 6, 16. It says, in addition to all of this, in other words, in addition to all the other pieces of armor that he's been talking about, he says, take up the shield of faith for which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Real quick, everybody say evil one might be uncomfortable for you to say, but go ahead and say it one more time. Evil one. You know, something that's sad is that a lot of Christians have not opened their eyes to the fact that there is an enemy and he is waging his war. Revelations chapter 12 verse 19 tells us who that enemy is. It's the ancient serpent called Satan and the devil. And his mission is to deceive the world. And not just Christians, the people who have not come to know Jesus yet, the unbelievers. He wants to keep them from becoming believers. John 10.10 says that the thief comes only 
to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, Jesus follows it up with, but I have come that they may have life. Peter wrote a couple of letters. In the first letter that he wrote, he says, you guys got to be alert, man. You got to be of sober mind because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And again, here in Ephesians 6, verse 16, he says that the enemy, the evil one, has flaming arrows ready to take you out. Have I got your attention yet? This is the war that we wake up to every day. Before our feet even hit the floor, the enemy has his bow pulled back, aim is taken on you, and he's ready to let go of the strings and shoot that arrow right into your head, right into your heart, wherever he's got to get you. And that's the fact. You don't even have to ask, "Is is there a weapon formed against me today? Yeah, there's a weapon formed against you today. The bigger question is, is are you ready for it? Isn't that right? Now, Paul says, above all these things, take up the shield of faith. We just did a whole teaching series on faith. Momentum, moving forward with faith. And we talked about faith from all kinds of different angles. And I don't have time to unpack all the stuff that we did during that deal. But I will refer back to something that I shared with you during that series. And it's that faith is trusting in God's faithfulness. Can I get a witness on that one? Faith is trusting in his faithfulness. And I told you that faith as a noun is the possessing of a trust in God. He is the one who can and he is the one who will. And then I talked about how faith as a verb is the applying of that trust to your situation. That sounds reasonable enough, right? How many of you are familiar with Tony Evans? Everybody know who Tony Evans is? Black preacher, really, really good. I heard him say one time about faith that faith, (laughs) I like this, faith is acting like it is so, even when it's not so, in order that it might be so, simply because God said so. (laughs) Doesn't that sound like Tony Evans? That's good. Did you notice that Paul said you got to take up your shield? Did y'all see that? All the other ones, it says having the belt of truth, having the breastplate of righteousness. This one he says, take up your shield. Back to our sermon in a sentence. When I pick up my faith, I access God's grace. Let's say it together one more time. When I pick up my faith, I access God's grace. Now you may not be familiar with Romans 5, but that's what it says in Romans 5. In case you're not familiar with it, let me read it to you. Romans is one of the other letters that Paul wrote to the Christians in Rome. And in chapter 5 of that letter, that book, it says, Therefore, having been justified by grace, in other words, we gave our lives to God by believing in His Son, Jesus Christ, and now we're justified. We're made right with God. Our standing before God is right. I'm no longer condemned. I'm no longer far away. I'm brought near, and I'm justified. I'm made right. Having been justified by faith... We now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And then he follows that right up with, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. We exult in the hope of glory of God means that we can get really excited really quick because God has the ability to bring about what he says he will bring it about. Bring about. Isn't that right? Isn't that good? We got some agreement in the house? He's faithful like that. Amen? 
Did you notice he said right before that, though? It says, through Christ we have also obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. That, makes, that means that, that God made everything that he is and everything that he has available to us. That's good news. It's a great definition of grace, right? Everything God has made available to us. That means that, that we can stand with it. That means we can jump on in it and stand. That means that we can stand under it. You guys hear what I'm saying? All we got to do is take it up. That's why Paul says, take up the shield of faith. Don't leave the house without it. Paul's writing all these letters. He wrote the letter to the Romans. In in chapter 3 of Romans, he says that faith is a law. Think about that. Faith is a law. Faith is a rule that defines how you approach life. How are you going to approach life? As Christians, that law, not the law of the old covenant and all that, it's a law of faith. We approach our life by being people filled with faith. Amen? In the first chapter of that same book, he says that the just man, remember a man that's been justified by believing in Christ, the just man shall live by faith. That's what he says, but he's just quoting an Old Testament prophet, Habakkuk. Chapter 2, Habakkuk said the same thing. The righteous one will live by his faith. A couple of other letters he wrote. He wrote two letters to the um, church at Corinth, the, the Corinthian Christians. That's kind of hard to say. And he says the same thing. Except he says it like this. We walk by faith. And he follows that up with not by sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. In other words, if you can see it, it might not be faith. If it's moving in the visible realm, it's not the faith that God's talking about. That's why Paul says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. I'll be honest with you. I wish this was a flesh and blood battle. I'd sign up for me some Krav Maga. You know what I mean? I'd go find Mr. Miyagi and get down to town. I'd go to the gym. I'd start working out. I'd do something to get ready. Am I the only one that's made up that way? If I know a fleshly war's coming, I'm going to get ready to fight. I'm at least going to go put me some brass knuckles. I'm going to do something to get ready for that, right? But this fight's not physical. I was thinking about that preparing. I remember... um, (laughs) I remember when I was um, in first grade, I went to Chapel Hill, and I don't know what I did, but my teacher sent me home with a note that I needed to get signed by my parents. I did something wrong. I, I probably cussed at her. I don't know. I was such a heathen back then. You're like, dang, yeah, I did. That was bad. Anyway, I had to take this note home, have my parents sign it, and every day that I didn't get this note signed, I was going to get what we used to call licks. I don't know what y'all call them now, but I was going to get a whooping. I was going to get the paddle on the rear. You know what I'm talking about? They don't do that anymore, right? Well, I knew that the spanking at home was going to be way worse than the one at school. So I never got the note signed. So I came back the next day, but I was ready. I was ready for that attack. You know how you're going to get a spanking at school and you pad your pants? A few layers of underwear, right? That's what I did the first day. Mmm, kind of stung. Second day, I got my few layers of underwear on, but also got me a real flimsy comic book. Put it down in there. You know what I mean? So they give you like, like she's like, oh, that's right. Uh. So I kept not getting that thing signed. And so one day, the uh, teacher found, saw that I had all this stuff in my pants. And so she's like, you got to take that out. Oh, I had to think quick, man. 
I'm under attack here. I'm under attack. What I got to do? I remember I got my baseball cleats on. So whenever she raised up that paddle, I literally went, poop. And that paddle snapped over my shoes. I am not kidding you. See, you got to be, you got to have a plan. You got to know what's going on. You ask Miss King, first grade. Well, she may not even be alive anymore. I probably killed her. She is? You know Miss King? Ask her about Tony Herring. She goes, she also, she used to say, boy, quit that cursing. I said, I'm not cursing. I'm cussing. <laughs> anyway, what were we talking about? Oh, yeah, the war. Listen, this, <laughs> this battle that we're in, I've already said it, is not physical, is it? It's spiritual. It's not a physical battle. It's a spiritual battle. And it's not, I want you to listen carefully. It's not enough to be of the faith. You've got to be in the faith. You can be a member of a gym, right? Yeah, I'm a member of that gym. But unless you get in the gym, your situation's not going to be taken care of, right? You're, going, you're still going to be fat. You're going to still be out of shape. You're still not going to be ready for your reunion. In one of the letters that Paul wrote, he wrote to the Colossian church, the people at Colossae. And listen to what he says. I want you to hear this. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, in other words, now that you are of the faith, because when you're born again, you become someone of the faith. You are now in the family of God. You are of the faith. But he says, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith. And that's what Paul means when he says, take up the shield of faith. The implication is not that you're just supposed to have a shield. The implication is that you're supposed to get ready, get your shield ready. I want you to write a couple of things down about the Roman shield. A Roman shield was made of wood, okay? But it was wrapped in either leather or some sort of uh, animal skin. And it's a pretty decent size shield. In fact, the Greek word that Paul uses here for shield is the word furios. You know what it means? It means big door comes from the word thera, which just means door, okay? So the shield was like a big door. It's as big as a door, which means that if you take it up, it's gonna be pretty much going to be able to protect your whole body. You guys following what I'm saying? It's a big old shield, which, by the way, I want to I mention something. We, we mentioned John 10, 10 earlier. You guys remember that? I thought I would stop for a second and read that whole paragraph, okay? A few verses before and one right after. Can we do that real quick? Let me read it to you. John 10, 10. You got to hear this. This is Jesus talking. It says that Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door. Everybody say door. I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and come out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly because I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Now Jesus uses the same word for door right there that Paul uses in Ephesians chapter 6. Thurios. Isn't that good? Jesus states The reality to them. He says, the enemy is after you. 
But then he surrounds that statement with a greater reality. I am your shield and I will keep you alive. (laughs) You see that? So if you look at it in order, he says, I am your shield. Now the enemy is after you, but I will keep you alive. So his statement about the enemy's plans is sandwiched between these two promises. I am your shield and I will keep you alive. Isn't that good? That's because we're hard pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. Isn't that right? We're perplexed, but we don't have to despair. We're persecuted, but we'll never be abandoned. We may even be struck down over and over and over and over again, but we are not destroyed. Am I the only one feeling it here tonight? Am I the only one feeling it? Because King David felt it all the way back in Psalm 28. Look what he said. He said, the Lord is my strength and my my heart trusts in him. My heart has faith in him, believes in him, completely depends upon him. And then he says, and I am helped. Isn't that good? See, the enemy is going to come try to steal my strength. He knows that if he can rob me of my joy, then he's going to steal my strength. So he's going to come at me with my past. He's going to try to remind me what I used to do, bring up all the guilt and all the shame. But what he doesn't know is I got Psalm 3.3 memorized. You know what I'm talking about? In Psalm 3.3 it says, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. You are the glory and you are the lifter of my head. You've taken my shame and you've turned it into praise. Can I get something here, people? This is good news. This is good news. Can I hear something? You know, we don't have to be quiet in church. Unless you've been working all day in the sun, you're just like, I can't move, bro. I'm telling you, I've been digging all day. I'm super excited about this because God wants to liberate some people. That wordplay that that we saw there wouldn't have been wasted on the Apostle Paul, would it? Nope. He's a master of metaphor. So it was like he was saying, cover up with Jesus. And nothing's going to get through. You're going to be safe. Amen. But every soldier would have had one of these shields. Just like every believer has faith. You follow? But a smart soldier, a well-trained soldier, knew that his furios, his big door, his mighty shield, would protect him all day long from every kind of assault that he could imagine Except one, flaming arrows. Shield's no good up against flaming arrows. And an experienced soldier, one who's been around the block a few times, would know that the enemy has like a, like a special task force. You guys know what I'm talking about? Some of you military guys know what I'm talking about. A special task force, almost like satanic snipers. You know what I mean? Watching, waiting. Sizing up the situation. Ready at any moment to shoot special arrows. Not just arrows, special arrows. Arrows that are dipped in a little bit of tar, a little bit of pitch. You guys know what I'm talking about? Arrows that could be lit on fire. Flaming arrows that could burn right through the animal skin. A weapon that could even burn through wood. Isn't that true? What do we say the shield was made out of? Wood covered with a little animal skin. We're talking about flaming arrows. Fire winds against wood. But listen, listen to what the enemy would be saying. All right, boys. 
This one's got a shield. Let's show them what we can do to a shield. And they let loose these arrows specifically designed for burning a hole in a shield. Let me tell you something. These, these arrows, these particular arrows, they're not aimed at the soldier. They're not aiming at the soldiers with these arrows. They're aiming at the shield. Can you guess why? Because the enemy knows that if he can burn off that shield, he will expose the soldier. And if you can expose the soldier, now I don't need flaming arrows anymore. I just need arrows. Paul's not stupid. He is saying something very specific to us. Flaming arrows are meant to dismantle us so that we will be wide open for anything else the enemy wants to shoot our way. The good news is, don't forget that we're talking about smart soldiers. We're talking about seasoned soldiers. Soldiers that have been around the block a few times. Ones that wake up to the war. Ones that go into battle prepared. Everybody say prepared. It's a big word for us tonight. Someone who knows how to fight the good fight of faith, like Paul was telling Timothy. When Roman soldiers went out to war, they would take their shield and they would dip it in water. Get it nice and wet. Not soggy and heavy, but nice and wet. That way, if if their shield was hit with flaming arrows, the fire is almost immediately extinguished. What did Paul say? In addition to this, some of your versions actually say above all. That could mean more important than all the armor or literally above all the other armor. Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Isn't that good? In other words, there's going to be times when the enemy will form a weapon against you. By the way, that word form means to size up and then to frame up. To size you up and then frame up a plan, a tactic on how he's going to take you down. Which weapon of choice he needs to use. But he's got to size you up first, right? Doesn't he got to size you up first? Once he sized you up and say, oh, I see what's going to work. Then he frames up a plan and he starts bringing it. But there will be times when the enemy is going to size you up, then frame up a plan, and then he's going to launch the weapon that's going to take you out. And the only way to survive such an attack is to access a little more God. The only way to get through an attack like that is to access God on a whole other level. And that's why being of the faith is not going to be enough. you got to dip yourself in the faith. It's not about being of the faith. That's good to be of the faith. But that ain't going to help you when the fire arrows come. You've got to dip yourself in the faith. If you want to keep weapons that are formed against you from prospering, you've got to go further and you've got to go deeper in your faith. Isn't that right? Now here's the question. How do I go deeper in my faith? It's a good question, right? And there's all kinds of ways that you can answer that. I'm going to answer with four things. There's all kinds of answers, but we're going to do four tonight. Can we do that? First thing is, ask for a double portion of the Holy Spirit. Ask for a double portion of the Holy Spirit. Remember we said that the soldier would dip his shield in water? You've heard me say this before if you're, if you're a part of the family here. That in Scripture, there's a few things that, that metaphorically analogies of the Holy Spirit. One is oil and another is water. We talk about the living water, living by the Spirit. 
So think about that. As for a double portion of the Holy Spirit, we receive the Holy Spirit at salvation. I'm getting a little theological. But when you say, Christ, come into my heart, however you want to say it. Um, uh, I want to be born again. I am a new creation. I'm getting saved today. All that stuff. When that happens, Scripture says that the Holy Spirit comes in to you. Because now you're born of the Spirit. That's what Jesus told Nicodemus. Isn't that right? You're not born of the flesh. Now you're born from above. You're born of the Holy Spirit. But we, we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit when we ask Him to fill us daily. Because the further you go into this war, the more shots you take, the more arrows, the more... And you start feeling empty. You start feeling empty. So you got the Holy Spirit, but you got to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the way that you do that is that you ask Him to fill you daily. And Scripture says, He's, he's, not, he's not like a, a mean father when you ask for a snake, or when you ask for bread, He's going to give you a snake or a rock. He's going to give you what you need in, in abundance. So if you're going to ask, what kind of a portion should you ask for? Give me a double portion. I'll take two. Right? Yes? You guys remember the story of Elijah and Elisha? Elijah was this prophet doing amazing things. He was knocking it out of the park all the time. He was the one that took out the 400 prophets of Baal. He's the one that does all this stuff. I mean, you read your story and you're like, this cannot even be true. But it is true because it's in the Bible. And we believe that the Bible's true, right? Well, he took up a, he took up a disciple named Elisha. So you got Elijah and Elisha. Well, Elijah had to retire, man. God's like, you got to come home. I got a chariot of fire ready for you. It's going to be a ride. (laughs) But if you know the story, you know that Elijah was going to pass off the torch. And whenever he did, he said, Elisha, is there anything before I go? Is there anything you want to ask of me? Elijah said, ask what I should do for you before I am taken. And Elisha said, please. I love it. Starts with please. Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. And he says a double portion of your spirit, but we know he's talking about the spirit of God because the things Elijah accomplished could only have been accomplished by the spirit of God, right? So the spirit that he's asking for a double portion of is a a double portion of the power, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Power, anointing, those are big churchy words. It just means that God's going to do something when his spirit's on you. And I thought about this. Elijah could have, he could have asked for all kinds of stuff. He asked for a double portion And listen to me, it wasn't so that he could do twice the miracles. That's not why he asked for a double portion. You want to know why he asked for a double portion? Because he walked with Elijah enough to know that this great man of God was always under opposition. You know what? If I go through half of what you went through, give me a double portion so that I can handle it. So for us, if we want to go deeper in our faith so we can be ready to take up our shield, we've got to ask for a double portion. Jesus even said that if they hated me, they're going to hate you. Oh, you better give me a double portion then. Amen? Second thing is, is that you need, you need to ask for a double portion of the Holy Spirit, but then you need to become a person of prayer. Notice I said the next two are going to be becoming. You need to become a person of prayer. Now, I don't want to talk about this too much because Marvin, I believe, is going to teach on that some while I'm in Israel. But that is the very next thing that Paul talks about when he gets through with the armor. He actually says that, um, that we need to pray in the Spirit. This is another way we overcome the enemy, by praying in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Again, I'm not going to talk too much about prayer tonight, but I will read one verse out of James. It says this, 
our earnest prayer. Some of your versions say our fervent prayers. Our earnest prayers offered in faith are, are powerful and will do amazing things. So you got to become, if that's true, that our prayers, our earnest, effectual, fervent prayers hold power and, and do something in the Spirit, then we need to become a person of prayer. Not a person who prays, but a person of prayer. And I chose the word becoming on purpose because becoming is a process. I doubt any of us are going to say tonight, before we go to bed tomorrow, I'm going to pray for hours. And then actually wake up the next day and make it one hour. Amen? So it's something that we need to become. The third thing is that we need to become a student of God's Word. We need to ask for a double portion. We need to become a person of prayer. We need to become a student of God's Word. I'm not talking about just reading the Bible, although... Just reading the Bible will go a long way. Because the more we get in us, the more is going to come out. Amen? But I'm talking about being a student of God's Word. Like it's an assignment. Like I'm going to be graded on this. You know what I mean? Like my GPA depends upon this. My GPA, my God's peace and anointing. You know what I mean? Depends upon this. But if you think about it, it kind of does. If the enemy's coming out at you trying to take out your shield of faith, then we need to be building our faith. And one of the ways that we do that is through the Word. And the more we know the Word and not just read it, oh yeah, I've heard of the book of Psalms. I'm talking about, no, I memorized Psalm 139 that tells me how God thinks about me. Knowing these things, being a student of the Word. We're going to probably talk about a little bit more of that in two weeks because we're talking about the sword of the Spirit which is the Word, so I won't go into that too much. But First John chapter 2, it does say that you are strong and the Word of God dwells in you and you have overcome the evil one because of it. He told the Colossian church that, that we should let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly. Not just dwell, but dwell in us richly because when it is, it is like dousing it. It is like putting that water on it and is able to extinguish the things that the enemy comes. These little lies, these little scenarios, these little habits, whatever it is. These special little arrows. They sized you up. They formed a plan. But you're like, it doesn't matter what the plan formed against me is. It won't prosper. It's going to be extinguished. Why? Because I've become a, a um, student of the Word. And I'll just say, you know, on these two things, and I'm going to get into one more. Listen, this isn't like... I get so tired of people not taking this seriously. And then on the other side of their lives, their lives are a mess. You just don't necessarily see, I'm not saying people don't come, aren't come against, but you just don't see people's lives a complete mess and chaotic when they are people of prayer, students of God's word, and asking constantly for a double portion. I'm not saying that the enemy doesn't come against I'm not saying that fiery arrows aren't being shot. They are. But they're so quickly extinguished. Chaos doesn't rule. Peace rules. Marvin talked about that last week. Shotting your feet with the gospel of peace everywhere you walk. We could be walking on thorns, but it doesn't matter why. Because I got peace all over my feet. You guys hear what I'm saying? We've got to be people of prayer. Become people of prayer. People of, of God's word. Listen, the fourth one is this. Commit yourself to a strong community of faith. 
Commit yourself to a strong community of faith. Another way of saying that is commit yourself to church. This is a big one in our day because people are walking away from the church. And the church has always been full of unbelievers just because unbelievers make their way there. You know, maybe they're interested or maybe they're coming with somebody they know or maybe they're hitting on some guy. Whatever it is, whatever reason they were there. (laughs) Oh, I went to church with my wife. Actually, it was a revival. But even believers are finding it hard to make it to church. And I'm not even talking about attending a service. I'm talking about connecting to a community of believers. I tell you what, there is nothing that will extinguish some flaming darts, some flaming arrows, like connecting your shield with some other people. I'm telling you right now. Ecclesiastes 4.9. You guys, could y'all turn there? I want y'all to have, I want y'all to look at this one. Ecclesiastes 4.9, I'm going to show you this, and we're almost done. It says, Two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. Can I get an amen on that? But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Do you realize that's a warning? Woe to the one who falls that did not have someone with them to hold them up. That's a warning. And not from me. I didn't write it. But God is saying that. In his word, he's saying it is not good for you to be alone. It wasn't good for man to be alone. It's not good for anybody to be alone. Because the roaring lion we were talking about earlier, that's the type of person he's looking for. The one who's alone. Because when you are alone, you are weak. We just read it. Isn't that right? Look what it says next. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if, and this is verse 12, if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. But a cord of three strands is not quickly apart, or a cord of three strands is not easily broken, some of your versions say. If one can overpower him, now you know what that's saying, right? Saying that there is power in the name of Jesus. You guys heard that song that's kind of out right now? There is power in the name of Jesus. Anybody heard that song? That's what he's saying. There's power in one because the Holy Spirit's there. If one can overpower him who is alone and two can resist him, a cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart or a cord of three strands is not easily broken. In other words... You can get some stuff done with one. Two, you're going to resist pretty heavy. But when you got three linked, but how about four or five? How about 20? How about a life group of 12 to 15? When you're involved in that kind of community, dude, somebody's already spotted the arrows before they're even let go from the bow. Isn't that right? Why? Because you got people looking out for you. So you got multiple shields linked up like in 300. Anybody ever seen that movie? I overall don't recommend it, but if you like fighting, it's, you know, it's kind of cool. But there's that scene where all those Persians, I think it was, is coming at the 300 soldiers of Sparta. Is that right? And they're all there, and they're like, uh-oh. And so they back up into the little cave there. 
this small little opening, and, and all those soldiers just come crashing in, just like the enemy does, man. Comes crashing in like a wave on these few soldiers, these 300 soldiers. We're talking about thousands. And they hold them there, and you kind of see them shaking, and it looks hard. And all of a sudden, somebody goes, Bleh! I don't even know what they said, but it was Spartan, you know. And all of a sudden, these shaky feet go, Kum! and they just go, Boom, and they push them back and they get their spear. And it's just like this whole thing is going. It's awesome. But all these multiple shields are linked together. And these guys are throwing knives and throwing swords and doing all this stuff. But they can't get through. Why? Because a quarter of three strands is easily, easily broken. Isn't that right? These shields are linked up. They're already big enough to cover one person. You link them together and the way they would do it, it's like this big mound of protection. Why? That's the picture of community. We see Jesus in 300, kind of. We see a lot of the devil in that one too, don't we? If you've seen it. Am I intense enough for you tonight? Oh, guys, ask for a double portion of the Holy Spirit. Become a person of prayer. Become a student of the Word. But listen to me. There's a lot of people trying to do those three things without the fourth. To do those things outside of the context of biblical community. And I'm telling you right now, it will not work. It may seem like it does for a season, but at some point the enemy comes crashing in and you ain't got but one shield, but there are multiple darts, more darts than you think you can handle. And that is when you need the the shield of your brother's faith beside you. And if you got enough people in your life, they will spot that sniper up on the hill. Why? Because they're looking out for you. So many believers don't have anybody looking out for them and they're taken out before they even knew anything was there. You see it all the time. My wife and I, this past week, have been talking to so many people that are being taken out left and right, left and right. And the majority of them are not in biblical community. I'm so grateful for the people that are at SOMA and at TCF that are plugged in. Amen? Oh, let's stand up before I have a conniption. Listen to this last verse. This is 1 John 5. Verse 4. I think it's up on the screen. I want us to read it together. Can we do that? Let's read this. Ready? For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. 